Welcome to the Love Sport Podcast, Paul, your host, joined by John and Pete. You might recognise what this song is, not sure, but we do have Kansas City Chiefs taking on maybe this team. We're going to cover a bit of tennis, the NFL, look at the AFL, look at the NRL pre-seasons, look at the Premier League and a few transfers going around. This is the Love Sport Podcast. the Love Sport Podcast. I was about to say the Premier League transfer window, but it's not a Premier League transfer window. It's a European transfer window. And how did you find it, guys? First of all, how did you find it from your own team's perspective and then as an overarching kind of thing? Well, I'll kick things off uh, from a Liverpool perspective and say incredibly disappointed. Um, this is one of those things where you you throw your uh, Jude Bellingham shopping list into the basket and you go... <laughs> Let, let's go around and see what we can pick up. Um, and unfortunately, Jude Bellingham was not available at the shop at the time. Um, and so from a Liverpool perspective, it was quite disheartening um, because obviously there's a lot of little gaps that need to get filled. And, you know, we, we saw this actually happen uh, about two or three transfer windows ago in January when Taki Minamino came in from Southampton. And it was just, you know, a slight breath of fresh air. That's all that the club needed at the time was literally one player to come in, give some fresh air, and that hasn't happened this time around. But, you know, as much as I might look at it from a Liverpool perspective, it's even worse from an Everton perspective where they're in dire straits of, you know, needing something to give them a buzz. And instead of going to the transfer market and trying to pick up someone that, you know, a fresh face, uh, a, a new you know person to talk to in the change room. Instead of doing that, new head coach Sean Dice decides to bring in some new rules to the squad, such as no shorts, uh, sorry, no long pants or track pants at a training session, so shorts only. Uh, no uh, beanies that have you know little pom poms on top because if you can't wear it on a game day, you can't wear it at training. Um, and his first training session, he's decided to do a beep test instead. So, you know, as much as it might go, Liverpool haven't done too well, Everton's done worse. Um, but, you know, let's jump across to a Newcastle's perspective, because um, even though John might not be on the call at the moment, um, I can definitely kind of suspect what his vibe or what his thoughts would have been um, when it came to some of the some of the movements and some of the players that kind of came in from a new a Newcastle perspective because kind of the first question that uh, got sent out to all of us was what do we think of Anthony Gordon because um, very interesting one and and Paul I'll leave it to you to you to kind of pick up here but Anthony Gordon um, thoughts well for me Anthony Gordon he he was in the end he was at the wrong club for him um, I think he's a really fast attacking player probably Reminds me a little bit of Watkins from Villa in a way that does doesn't have the finishing at the moment. Um, I think that I think he's amazing. I, I think that he'll be an amazing player. Um, I don't think he'll be an amazing player necessarily um, for Newcastle. I think he'll be a good squad player, and that yes. so they probably paid over for a squad player. But when you're worth uh, hundreds of billions or whatever they're worth, I mean, I think they're worth twenty or thirty times you know, a club like Villa who's got a uh, $5 billion owners, you know. So uh, if you're going to get better and better, you have to have those guys. But I find it weird from his perspective. I mean, obviously, he's going to go to a team that's going to play Europe. 
Um, so that's pretty cool and everything. But he's not going to get regular, regular games, I wouldn't think. So he's a really great squad player. John, we were just talking about Gordon, um, your signing. And we, we think for Newcastle to maintain their run, um, looking at Europe next year, he's a great squad player. But I don't think he'll be a regular. Are you talking about um about Anthony Gordon and the and the introduction to the Newcastle lineup? Uh, yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, look, I didn't die there. I actually just decided it's time to stop pretending on my phone and just open a computer again. Um <laughs> yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I think it's all about uh, squad depth and strength. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, there's I actually think there's also a little bit of something else that's happening under the surface at Newcastle with Eddie Howe. Uh, we've actually got a very high percentage of um, uh, players that are coming through from either, you know, well, basically, I'm saying basically like a bunch of English players. Yeah. And if you look at it, and there's actually quite a, there's quite a few um, actual Newcastle players in the team. It's a bit of a different style to the way that the other top clubs are going with their buying. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, we even bought Harrison Ashby, who, despite the fact he's a Scottish international from Milton Keynes, um, so he's a he's obviously another English player. And um, do I look? I think the interesting thing here is that um, what happens with Alison Maximum? I think he's got a big big six months coming up. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think um, you bring up a good point about Alan Maximum and, and what that kind of future is going to hold uh, from a Newcastle perspective, um, whether or not he hangs around, whether he goes to start and look elsewhere, and kind of what impacts that we're going to see from, uh, from Eddie Howe over the next couple of weeks and months uh, as this Premier League season kind of kicks into gear. But I guess one one positive is that Newcastle are not doing the Chelsea move of scattergun approach. Of uh, we all we all knew that kid at school who would look over your shoulder and, and you know ask questions and be like, hey, uh, what's the answer to this one? And, and that's kind of what uh, Tom Bowley at Chelsea is doing at the moment um, of saying, oh, that club likes that player, we're going to sign him instead. Uh, and you have to think the players that they're bringing in, yes, quality players, but also do they really need them? Um, it reminded me, Pete. It reminded me a fair bit of um, Manchester United's last probably ten years of signing players. They all sound fantastic, but they didn't seem to fit. And I know Man U's doing great now, but it, it does remind me. Look, far far worse than what Man United did, but um, it seems that similar approach. Well, think of it in terms of okay. So their most recent signing just before the transfer window was Enzo Fernandez, uh, who's now become the most expensive player in British footballing history in a deal worth 131 million mm-hmm. in the English yeah. Premier League. And you have to wonder, Enzo Fernandez, fantastic player. We saw him at the World Cup for Argentina and what he was able to do. Is he really a valuable player of that much, like that much dollar? Now, think about the players that they've already brought in. Um, Joao Felix, who's come on loan from Atletico Madrid. Um, we've already seen them throw many, many dollars and many question marks over financial fair play. And obviously the loophole that they're going around in terms of um, they're giving a long-term contract to these players and then extending the value over the um, period of that contract, rather than saying we'll pay 130 million up front, we'll pay you know in five installments over a five-year period, uh, for example. But 
yeah, it's a very interesting approach that they're putting in. Um, you look at it in in terms of their, you know, noisy neighbours over at Arsenal at the moment um, who are just quietly going about a business. They, they bring in the likes of uh, Leandro Trossard, uh, the Jorginho. very interesting, and, and Jorginho, as you mentioned, um, you know, very, very astute signings from uh, from Arsenal and, and a very interesting one bringing in Jorginho into the midfield. Like, Arsenal are definitely strengthening and bringing in good players at a good time at this point. Well, I, I, look, if we just go through a couple of them, um, Villa went into absolute meltdown the last few days because we didn't sign many players. But for me, the you've got to trust uh, a journey with a manager. And he has said, I'm not signing players unless they're the ones I want. We actually let go on loan and permanently 11 players and only signed two. Um, we've, we've recalled a couple of players and people are in meltdown and I'm actually completely stoked because so many of the players we've let go weren't, they're on huge weekly salaries and weren't even getting a game. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy there. Yeah, well, you guys are on an upward swing and you're not going to win the title. So it's a good time to just consolidate that and prepare for next year. And look, very few clubs make Make the um the the Christmas transfer window uh, a turning point. Um, yep. We did last year, but the truth of the matter is, our turnaround had more to do with coaching than with players. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and and so, so yeah, I, I I actually think that's pretty smart business. Yeah, I'd rather be doing what you're doing than what Chelsea are doing because I actually think Chelsea back ending contracts in any sport, especially with you know, it's a thing we more associate with salary cap leagues. Um, but it's a guaranteed recipe for disaster when you kick the can down the road like that. Yeah, well, I, a really interesting article that you sent us, and, and I've been talking on different podcasts about uh, the financial fair play rules, which they've navigated beautifully, but it's going to really kick them down the track. It's going to really hurt them. Um, Bournemouth um, signed a, a number of players, some on free, uh, some on loans. No one who really stands out there. They've let go of a lot of players. Uh, Brentford, pretty similar. They've got a lot of players on loan. Um, so a lot of teams didn't spend much money. Um, but I just want to go through what you were talking about. Um, what I can't say his name. Murdoch. I can't say his name right. Is it Murdoch? Murdoch? Um, uh, yeah, Murdoch. Yeah. Murdoch. $87 million from Shakhtar Donetsk. Yes. Basali uh, <laughs> from Monaco, $35 million. Uh, million. On, uh, Andre Santos. Hang on, I missed his name. What was it? Murdick. Yep. Right. You yep. want to say then, that over and over again? I think that's a good name. And then we got Santos from Basco da Gama, 18 million. The reason I'm reading this out, I want to make a point in a moment. Um, David Fafana from Mold, and that they're a Denmark team, aren't they? Yes. Um, Felix from Atletico Madrid on loan. Uh, I can't say his name. I'm so sorry. Uh, from the, the gentleman, Noni um, from PSV. Uh, yes, that's the one. Gusto from Leon and Enzo Fernandez from Benfica. Now, the reason I bring this up, Shakhtar Donetsk, 87 million. (laughs) Benfica, 105 million. That's going to set, especially a club like Benfica, who, yes, they're massive in Portugal, but 105 million for a club like Benfica, that's unbelievable money. And they have paid absolutely overs. I mean, a 35 million... For Monica, to you know, Vasco da Gama, eighteen million. These are insane amounts 
to pay to divisions that aren't the strongest going round. Last year, when after the PIF takeover, and Eddie Howe's installed, and we went into the um, to this same transfer window, uh, clubs and managers were coming to us with these stupid offers, right, of players and ridiculous money, and uh, we said no. And even Anthony Gordon, Chelsea tried to buy him um, over the over the shutdown uh, for something like eighty million. We got or sixty. We got him for forty because we didn't pay overs, and they said they refused to do it. So Chelsea are like a bull in a china shop. Well, we spoke about this the other week, guys. The reason I want to bring this up is some of these clubs that are getting those fees, they're going to be set up for literally years, right? So, Well, I have a thing about it. You mentioned Benfica there. Do you know how much money that they've actually made through player player sales over the last couple of years? Oh, probably half a billion dollars. They've made a billion dollars through player sales. Well, how much of that did they get from Wolves? Mate, yeah. a heck of a lot, to be honest. If we think about it, uh, like we say, they've got the um, the sixty four million pounds from Darwin Nunes. Yeah. Uh, Yamashek was fifteen million. Uh, sorry, fourteen million. Uh, Everton was twelve million. Diego Jota was six and a half million. Gedison uh, Fernandez five and a half million. Uh, purely like they had Ruben uh, Diaz, who's gone. Victor Lindelof is gone. Nelson Semedo is gone. As we say, Joao Felix is gone. Like the, the money that they're bringing in is absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, and Joao this- Felix went. He went. Um, he went to Atletico, and now he's been loaned. It's just yeah. It's now just- that was 111 million, by the way. Yeah, that was 111 back in 2019. And so, and their outgoings. Jorginho, twelve million, but what? And we spoke about this the other week. The, the 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 point I want to bring up is not only if they spent close to half a billion, but we will never know the weekly salaries of most of these players are going to be absolutely insane as well. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight players they've spent half a billion on, and what are they going to be on a week? You reckon? Going well, to if they've got back-ended contracts, if they do want to move them on, then Chelsea's going to be obliged to be paying for a big chunk of that salary as well after they leave the joint. We'll just say they average a hundred thousand, right? Mm. And that wouldn't be unreasonable. That's eight hundred. That's that's another forty million a year in wages. Oh, well, oh. that's in, look. It's people. Your article said it really well. It is destroying the expectations of supporters for what a salary should be for a person. Yep. Uh, and, and a transfer fee. Uh, look, uh, Crystal Palace, um, only a couple of players in themselves have actually uh, offloaded a lot. Everton brought in none, have got rid of about 10. And obviously, Anthony Gordon to Newcastle. Um, Fulham, you know, a couple signings and about seven or eight out. So most of these clubs, almost all the clubs, I know that um, Leeds spent a fair bit. I think they got uh, Rutzer from Hoffenheim for $35 million and McKenzie. Uh, McK- yeah. Oh, he's on loan, I think, McKenny. Yeah. Um, uh, did Nottingham Forest buy a bunch of get a bunch of players? They yeah, did. Bit... Nottingham Forest bringing in the likes of John Joe Shelby, uh, a big move for a central midfielder. But I tell you, the the real attention was actually on goalkeeper Caleb Navas. What yeah. a guy to bring in to replace yeah. the injured Dan Henderson. That was a great signing. Great signing. I mean, even teams like Manchester City, um, who who uh, their supporter groups were just going nuts that they brought no one in. But this is responsible. By Manchester City's Manchester United, they brought in quite a few players. They, they, all their players came in on loan. But what we're seeing is, 
and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, we are seeing a ton of clubs offloading so many players, getting ready for a really big summer of signings. Yep. Um, I've never seen it like this ever, you know, in, in terms of, I mean, you look at Wolves, how many players did they get out? One, two, I think they got about 12 out and about seven in. You've got to make sure you stay up. But but I suppose what I'm saying is I, I've never known a transfer window with so many players leaving and so few coming in. Yeah, it's definitely a hostile uh, transfer window. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And, and the thing is, like, if you compare it to other competitions, so according to Transfer Market, the the fantastic transfer website, um, English teams paid out around about eight hundred thirty one million, not including loan payments, uh, whilst the other top four European competitions spent about 263 million. So France, their transfers was roughly 128 million. Uh, German clubs paid around about 74 million. Yeah, saw that. Whilst then you had teams in Spain, about 30 million in transfers. And then the Italian around about 30 million as well. So I'll tell you what, um, for English teams to be paying 830 million in transfers, uh, in the most recent window, this is incredibly hostile environment to be a part of. Yeah, that triangle that they always show about the Premier League feeding down to the Championship and then to the First Division, the Second Division, and to the conferences and stuff like that. They actually need to add Serie A and um, and 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 Portugal and all the other leagues in Europe under it now because the the way it's going, they really are funding everyone. Yep. It's getting to the point of insanity. We always thought the money was getting out of control. And I'm, I am not even pointing a finger at one club. This is symptomatic of what the Premier League now, clubs around the world must look at the Premier League and go, just add another 25 on, we can do it. Well, you're, waiting, that, for, you're waiting for someone to go broke, though. Well, it's going to happen. I mean, this, this is It not, is going to happen. The thing is, is we, we won't see another situation like a Leeds. Now, this is the really big question is, will we see another team go completely above and beyond their means like Leeds did when they went into administration years ago? And I don't think that we're at that point yet. Do you think Chelsea could be taking themselves down that track? Not to the same extent, but they could definitely be in a world of pain uh, in the long term. But I don't think that they're heading down that way fully. But they're definitely on that path. I suppose I want to ask you, um, Pete and John, how are they not heading down that path? This is not sustainable. I mean, under financial fair play, they, they actually have um, people are saying they've bent the rules. No, they, they've, they've done it inside the rules. They've just changed the way that, that other clubs were going to look at doing it. So they haven't cheated. They've done it the right way, but I don't think it, I mean, it's not sustainable. And for what ends? Pete's way more of an expert than me. And I'll say something and then Pete can like finish this discussion. If you ask me with the problem, the big thing for Chelsea, they got back into contracts, but they haven't been playing that well for a, a bit. You want to go and down the Everton approach of just throwing pieces of, you know, what at a wall and seeing what sticks uh, for the sort of money they're paying, which is so much more than Everton did. Hey, if they start to struggle, you never know where things can end up, especially if players hate each other. Like, remember Man United a couple of years ago? Yep. You come in and go, hey, what are we paying this guy $45 billion for? He's, you know, he doesn't, he can't kick. No. You, you, I think they better watch out because you never know what's going to happen. And and they, they look to me as though they are out of control. And I think they've got Americans in charge, haven't they? They, they do. do. They and, do. They, and they like to hedge their clubs. 
they're not there for the love of it. They're hedging. Well, it, look, the the game there's a there's a ton of games this weekend. We won't do a full coverage of it, but what a massive game! Um, both ends of the table on Saturday night. Uh, uh, Everton taking on Arsenal. Um, I think Everton will be well and truly on the bottom of the uh, table after this game because Arsenal's in fine form, playing beautiful football. Everton bereft of of any kind of confidence. Um, they'll be rooted to the bottom after this round. To be fair, if Sean Dice walks away with a nil or draw, he will be absolutely buzzing in his first game in charge. And and to be fair, that's what his expectation should be, at least walking into this, is don't care too much about scoring, just frustrate Arsenal and just kind of put in a good, dominant, hard-working performance at Goodison Park in front of their home support. It, and if they can do that... It, that yes. Isn't you that pathetic? That, I suppose what I'm trying to... I mean, it's not pathetic. You want your team to fight. But how pathetic have things become that you, you're going to be stoked with a, a point at home? Um, I know Arsenal's on top, but that's how sad it is, the demise of... of yeah, but, of Paul, we've both been there. Yep. I mean, Pete's never been there, but we have several times. And, you know, those fan, I think those fans will be breathing in, putting their chest out and saying... Hey, we've actually got a manager for the first time in a while. That's good news. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he's going to set the team out. He's, he has to. I mean, he can't go, say, and throw him three seats to the wind. He's, he's, he's got to set his stool out of the back and then hope that they can snatch something on the break. Oh, you, you, yeah, you guys are right. You guys are right. I just, it just, uh, it only takes that one mistake and Arsenal score and Everton's got no way back in. And we've, we've been in that position, haven't we, John, where, you know your team concedes the first goal and you are you're pretty much done. You're playing in two leagues here now, so I still come to town, you try and scratch out a point there, and then you know, when teams like Wolves or or Forest come to town, then that's a different game. And um, you know, I think that they've got a pretty savvy manager in charge. I like guys like that. I want someone who's out for a fight. I want to roll sleeves up. I was saying it for weeks about Evan, wasn't I? And I yep. think he's exactly what they need. I think it's a good appointment. He's a good appointment. And and look, the other game that really strikes me down that end of the table is is Forest hosting Leeds. Um, you know, I could definitely see Leeds getting a result here. But if Forest um, do win at home, they're well and truly clear of relegation after being down there for so long. And Leeds uh, will be right in the thick of it. But you could see Leeds getting a result there. Yeah, you can. But likewise, you can see... Realistically, I can see both teams not being in that relegation scrap come the end of the season in a way. Yeah. I can see them both grinding their way through and you know what, just jamming some results, getting fortunate and just being able to being able to put a, uh, a good plan in place, knowing that, yes, they don't have to be super successful. You know, my, one of my favorite sayings is you don't need to outrun the bear at the picnic. You just need huh. to be faster than the He's other campers. The slowest fat boy. And, and that's it. That's all they got to do is just, you know, keep grinding away and do the basic things well. Hey, that, that's been my philosophy. If ever there was a zombie outbreak, I'm going to hang out in my court where I know there's a few slower people and I'm just letting them trail off to the zombies, letting them have a feast and I'm off. Absolutely. Um, the other game at the top that really interests me, guys, uh, is Tottenham and City because Tottenham lose. If Tottenham cannot get some kind of result there, um, they would have played a few more games than teams around them. Uh, and City um, could be, you know, before they play this game, they could be eight points behind Arsenal. Ooh, they could be. Uh, and I think that um, Antonio Conte is doing... Um, I, I'm loving the analogy here between him and what 
Jose Mourinho did at Manchester United when he says his biggest achievement was taking that Manchester United team to second on the table. And this is almost what Antonio Conte is doing at Spurs, where he's taking that team as far as he can. He's making them stretch as far as he can. And, and you know what? If they can get something out of this game, I think they're going to be incredibly excited. Um, I think that it's not outside the room possibility to be able to jam a result here, but you kind of have to look and go, City should be the dominant side walking into this performance and should be walking in as clear favourites on this one. Uh, well, let's, we're going to jump across to a couple other sports. I, I, a player that I don't like as a person, I don't know him, so it's really harsh. And then magnificent um, achievement for anyone, Djokovic winning another Grand Slam. I think, what is that, his 10th Australian Open? That can't be his 10th Australian Open, surely. Uh, look, if it is, that would be absolutely huge. Um, you know, he's ranked number one in the world uh, in singles. He's held this position for, you know, what is it, a year and a bit, um, 374 weeks um, from what we can tell. So it is a sensational uh, performance. Guys, but... that is... That is his 10th Australian Open. Good that, gosh. That is, he owns uh, Melbourne Park. That I, I, I'm actually in shock. We're seeing history that, that there's no way that will ever be repeated. I'm going to take my hat off to him. I think I said something yeah. similar a couple of weeks ago. I'm not a big tennis guy, but I will say this. There hasn't been too many people who've uh, had as many great words to say in, uh, about Australia and the Australian Open as Djokovic has. And especially after what happened last year, for him to come back down here and just win it again. Mate, you know what? He could easily have said, I'm never going back there. But no, he, he owns the tournament and good on him. And, um, Tim, you know, Tim. He, he would have, well, he would have been on his 11th if he turned up last year, wouldn't he? Yeah, he, he would have been for sure. There's there's no stopping him. Um, and in, in, in the women's, Sabalenka uh, beat Ribianka in an, a really good, good final, actually. So um, congratulations to Sabalenka as well. Um, but, I'm just in disbelief. I've read it a hundred times and I've heard it more than that. And I still cannot believe he's won 10. It, it just, it's mind boggling to win 10 of the one tournament. And I know, I'm not sure how many um, Rafael Nadal's got in the French. It wouldn't be too far off that. They are two records we will just never see again. Well, we say that all the time and then somebody does it anyway. I, I mean, we, we, hey, we may not. Pete may. You and I, John, getting a little bit older. You see, it's, see someone where ten opens. Um, I'm not sure if we will see that, mate. Well, actually, I'm, I'm it, not going to count my days down based on, on tennis, mate. I can tell you, guys. Rafael Nadal, 14, 14 French Open titles. That's wow. 14 years worth of titles. I thought he'd won about 10 or 11. 14. Well, I'll tell you what, coming on top of his um, career for Spain and soccer, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but look, that's, you know, the Australian Open, they threaten to move it every year. And um, having been to the Open and, and been to other um, tournaments around the world, it is unbelievable. And the fan engagement is one of the best. The, you know, you get visitors from overseas who say the engagement at the Australian Open is just unbelievable. It is really great. You go the first few days, you can go to any outer court and see people for under $50. You can compare your shoe sizes, get pictures on, you know, it's just, it is a really, really great event. And um, Can I ask yeah, you a question, Paul? When you say they keep threatening to take it away every year, who's they? Oh, sorry. The heads of Tennis Australia. 
um, are like, or oh, you know, if we don't Australia. get if we don't get more funding, if we don't get more funding, we're going to have to move the Australian Open to somewhere else. What you mean? Oh, so I keep thinking you mean they're going to take it like to Asia or something. Oh God, no, no, they're um, Tennis Australia. You know, they're trying to get more out of. Uh, you know, squeezing squeezing their best tournament and saying the way that, they would move that from Melbourne is anyone's guess, but they would have to be complete morons. Well, they're still they, even though um, even though they um, had another one of their um, fantastic tournaments, um, they there's been about a billion dollars put in uh, by the Victorian government over the past seven or eight years, right? Mm. But why don't they say? You know, they put a billion in. You can't tell me in that period of time they haven't got more than that from tourism, from the coaches who come here, the players, everyone. They've got way more than a billion dollars worth of value out of it. But they never talk about that. It's the chief executive officer, Craig Tilly, keeps saying they get, it's going to go to Sydney or Shanghai. I mean, that's just someone, that's just someone, you know, agitating for more money. <laughs> Imagine if they put a billion dollars into the Victorian school system. I know, I know, but you don't get the. Re- I mean, you suppose you do get the return. You get better human beings. And so I'm forth. a sports guy, mate. I'm a, that's a lot of money for a tennis tournament. It, it is, but as I said, the the um, Grand Slam tournaments, there'd be way more than that billion dollars generated back to the Victorian government. I'm not doubting that, but this, I mean, yeah. Look, the guy in charge always has to be spruiking, doesn't he? But maybe they should get the guy who's bought Chelsea and get him to come down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, look, the Sabalenka and, and um, uh, Djokovic, congratulations. Another fantastic tournament. Two Australian um, men won the, the doubles title as wild cards as well. And I always like the doubles. It's one of the only times you ever take uh, take notice of it. Um, guys, AFL and NRL are doing their pre-seasons. And what I absolutely love about the pre-seasons, I don't like anything about them, to be honest, but I love that how they talk up the t- oh this this player's burning up the track and uh, this team are they 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 they're, they're poised for final success. They've had the best preseason ever, hey. Oh, it's it, look the one team that's not saying that at the moment in the AFL is St Kilda. I think they're down another three or four players injured in the preseason. They cannot take a trick that club. <laughs> but that's yeah. the thing. That's the thing about preseasons. You kind of want them just to get over and done with because you don't want to see the injuries. They they train in the the peak of summer, um, there just seems to be more and more injuries happening pre-season every year. And that's all you want. You just want your club to get through. Um, I wouldn't even care if they didn't play practice matches against other teams. I don't know about you guys, but I've never won a championship during a pre-season tournament. So, uh, you can lose it. You can lose it, Pete. Yeah, mate, you absolutely can. I think uh, what you mentioned there about the injury records, about players who uh, are really struggling, teams that you know are, are trying to gel everyone together, you can definitely lose it in those times as well. Is there any surprise, though, that it seems to be in the last few years, the teams that are around about the mark or less, that seems to get a lot of the injuries? That's got to come down to their, the money they spend on on medical and stuff as well, or is it just pure bad luck? No, it, it absolutely comes down to medical. I was actually reading uh, an article just the other day where they were talking about the fact that Penrith Panthers, I believe, have not had a serious long-term injury um, in in like a five-year or six-year cycle um, wow. it, because of the, the emphasis that they're putting in in terms of their sports science uh, uh, work, in terms of how they're doing player management. Um, it, it's an incredible stat. I'm trying to find it right now. And when I do, I, I will be more well, than happy to pop, pop it in our, our Facebook group. Considering that sport. 
Here we go. So uh, yeah. ACL injuries uh, total over teams over the last 11 seasons. So Roosters have had 11 ACL injuries over the last five years. Wow. Um, still not the most in the five-year period. So the Panthers had 13 ACL injuries between 2014 to 2018. And in the last four years, they've had none. Wow. Yes. That's that's amazing stat. Um, we talk about hard and soft salary caps in sports, right? And, you know, it's a big bugbear of mine. I believe we should do a luxury tax. Um, I, I, how many times have I said this one to you guys? The luxury tax. Have I brought that up many times? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, if, if you know, if we had a dollar for every time you've brought up the luxury tax. Because Richmond are a really rich yeah. club and you'd like to bring in more stuff for them. Exactly ah, right. No, I'm also talking about not the, the small. I mean, my, my thing is Richmond spends a million bucks above. They have to also spend a million dollars on the rest of the clubs in the comp. Yep. But, so my thing is that a team that is always – angling for money at North Melbourne, uh, Western Bulldogs, those kind of teams, that salary cap, um, not breach, but that salary cap expense that Richmond spend does get filtered down to the lower clubs. Uh, that That's just one of my things. And I don't do not think there should be a soft salary cap on administration, medical or anything like that. That's just me. I, I, I don't see any point in being a big club if you're not allowed to do certain things. So where I did some research, Pete, you'll like this, is that the bigger clubs... And like Penrith, the bigger clubs are spending an absolute fortune, which is soft salary cap doesn't come into, on their facilities. So, for example, a team like Richmond's got 12 plunge balls that can be heat and cold. Yep. You know what I mean? And so things like that do help clubs. Geelong's facilities down there now are absolutely first rate. So West Coast Eagles have the same. So you can kind of skirt around it by, by having those luxuries, I suppose. Yeah, exactly right. And, and the thing is, like, it is all to do with player welfare and player management because the thing is, yes, these sports are here to be able to provide entertainment for fans, but they come to be able to see players playing at their best, at their peak on a consistent basis. So I'll tell you what, it, it is huge to be able to see things like that. And, and player welfare is absolutely a huge part of the game. There's even going to be um, rule changes uh, for the upcoming um, rugby league um for concussion from what i understand uh, players are going to have to wait a minimum 12 days before returning to contact uh, training after being diagnosed with concussion as part of the um graded return to play protocol uh, so that's uh-huh. been an increase from seven days back in 2021 it went to 11 days in 2022 and then potentially uh this year it will be updated to 12 days uh for concussion so tell you what that it's and that's the bare minimum that is kind of a requirement. I believe that's going to be introduced primarily in the English Super League and then also yeah. be brought across into the Australian Rugby League competition as well um, in the very near future. Well, let's just face it. If they don't do something, they're going to be sued out of existence anyway. Um, a sport that, that John and I love, Pete, you're starting to get your, uh, your head into. The NFL uh, Super Bowl um, has been decided, or the players, and it'll be the Philadelphia Eagles taking on Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and San Francisco were there too. They were down to their fifth string quarterback, fourth string quarterback who got injured. And it was almost Christian McCaffrey playing quarterback, uh, John, um, for San Francisco, whose uh, run came to an end. Um, and Philly did not have a great game and run away with it 31 to 7, which makes sense when you've got a good quarterback and a quarter, you know, fourth or fourth quarterback so 
San Francisco ended up having their quarterback uh, injured in Brock Purdy. Josh Johnson came in, and I believe he's been at 10 or 11 clubs, John. I hadn't even yeah, heard of him. No, he's been around a lot. Yeah, he's been everywhere. So their total passing yards for a whole game was 97 yards. So Brock Purdy made four or four, couldn't throw the ball when he came back on. They put Christian McCaffrey in for one passing attempt. Uh, they were completely gone. There was no chance. And didn't matter how bad the Eagles played, San Francisco, after about the first quarter, a bit were gone. Uh, and the Eagles, what fly, Eagles fly, uh, the uh, Super Bowl. And the other well, game... Can I say, can I say something about that? Like, yeah. There's two, there's two ways to build your roster in the NFL. One is to not spend any money at quarterback and build everything up around it. Yep. Or you get the quarterback and you spend all your money in there and then you don't have much around the quarterback. And I think the 49ers are very much running a balancing act, which is leaning towards the first scenario put out there. Yep. And you know what? Good quarterbacks have another problem. They can't get away out of the way of coverage or out of the way of the pass rush. And bingo, see you later. And that's why... Um, you know, Tom Brady was not only such a great quarterback, but we know how much money he left on the table playing um, to build more players around him. And a quarterback, it's going to get to that point where quarterbacks are going to say, well, you know what? I'll take a bit less now, have a better team, get more wins. And I'm always going to make money if I'm a good quarterback. Aaron Rodgers never did. And look at that. Um, we won we won early on the piece and uh, it never happened after that. I think that you really want to follow the Tom Brady model and do say to guys, like, how much is enough, dude? And and also, uh, Tom Brady, and he, he used to say to himself, if I take less, I'm going to get better coverage. I'm either going to get a better receiver, I'm going to get a better O-line, I'm going to have more success. And he said that out. And, and you know, the longer I watched his career, the more I had respect I had for him. I hated him for years. But yeah. he did everything you'd ever want for a, a, a franchise quarterback, don't you reckon? I don't well, think he could have done any more. No, he, he obviously couldn't have done it anymore. He's the greatest player of all time at, at that position. Yeah, at that, um, I'm glad you but, said that, that position. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, now you've got a problem in the NFL where people are paying that ridiculous massive amounts of money to, I, I believe, pretty mediocre quarterbacks. Dak uh, say, for instance. Dak Prescott. Uh, uh, I don't think Dak's the main offender, I would say. No, no, probably... and I don't want to vilify uh, him either. Dak's also got a very good team around him, um, so it's better managed. But you look at Arizona. Oh. I mean, what what, what in the name of goodness are they doing paying Kyler Murray the money they're paying? I do not know. It's not, I'll uh, tell you what's going to kill him in the future. Pete, for perspective, this, this guy hasn't really proven himself and he's getting paid. I don't know what he's getting paid. He'd be 40-odd million, wouldn't he, a year He's or the more? highest paid quarterback. In the... Well, he was. Yeah. He's the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. He hasn't... And to quote the great Mark Slareth, he hasn't put an ounce of in the bucket. <laughs> so it is that balancing act. And, and uh, uh, you know, the smart quarterbacks over the years are going to take less to have better players around them. That's the only way it's going to work. Um, there is an increase of about 15 to 20 million next year, I believe, for every team. Um, so that that's, you know, drop in the bucket, but it's still okay. The Bengals and Chiefs game was fabulous. But, and you know, you know, I liked both teams, John. Mm-hmm. But the officiating was horrendous. The Chiefs, play after play on third down, were getting some tiggy touch wood. And I was going for the Chiefs, but some of the refereeing was... I, I, you don't want to say refereeing's cost you a game. And the decision at the end, um, 
where uh, for the first time in the game, Mahomes had run out, you know, done a running play, got the 10 yards and then was pushed over the line, which we always know once the uh, quarterback's over the line, you can't touch them. Everyone can say that decision cost the, uh, the, the Cincinnati Bengals a game, but there was a number of really bad decisions throughout the game that got the Chiefs out of a lot of third and downs. Uh, I just thought it was the worst officiating I'd seen in, in probably a couple of years. Well, let's say something in the NFL because i got to say this. that I used to think, Tim, when I was a younger man, I used to think that officiating in the NFL was the best in world sport. Yeah, I was always marvelling at how on point they were with everything. That's an American phrase. And I would say that you say, oh, the good coaches say, well, it should never have been in the hands of the referees. But i got to tell you, I've seen way more games in the last five years where you could say the officials cost that team that match, not just on one play, but throughout. And I actually think that the quality of the official at the NFL these days is an absolute disgrace. And for the amount of money that they're paying, time and time again, the same thing happens. It was really, really bad. But look, on a positive note there, Patrick Mahomes, um, 326 yards, two touchdowns. I think this that was his fifth um, AFC title match in a row, I think. If, if not if not fifth, it'd be his fourth, which is pretty darn amazing. And um, he, yeah, I, I'm just, I just think he's the best quarterback you know, I've ever seen. I know you say Tom Brady's the best it's been, but Mahomes is the best I've watched. That's really? just my opinion. Okay. Oh, mate, he does things I, I've never seen done in the game. So you Aaron, know, Rogers, Aaron Rogers did all that and so did Yeah, you know, I don't I, I was never So did Dan Marino. Yeah, I, okay. Well Dan I, I, see that's my Homer hat. I would always say Dan Marino. But if I'm talking about an opposition player, John I think Elway. No, I, 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 I think I think Mahomes is better than Rogers and Elway, and definitely think he's better than Rogers because um, Rogers, in the end, had the ability to be better than Mahomes. He had the ability to probably win three or four Super Bowls um, for you guys, and I think his career just fell off the last few years, mate. I, you gave me the best of Mahomes and the best of Rogers over a period of years. Right now, I take Mahomes. I reckon you got to go back and look at the first five years of Aaron Rogers' career. Oh, up until I, 2015, I'm telling you, the discussion was straight out then that who was going to be, have more Super Bowls out of him and Tom Brady. Hey, uh, mate, I was in that argument with people who followed the Pats and other teams. I was right there with you. Um, and, and I don't roll around on the floor talking about um, Aaron Rodgers. You know that. But he's the most gifted player I've ever seen in that position. And... Well, hey, we'll, Pat, we'll agree. Mahomes got a ways to go. Yeah? Look, he's still got a chance to win another one. Well, he's done. Look, in the end, he's going to have done more than Rogers has ever done at the, at the end of the career. Well, he's done it already because of the second Super Bowl. So, you know, if we want to go down a stat track, which we can do, he's probably his stats are going to probably already be ahead of um, of Rogers, and he's going to have more success than Rogers. And I, I just think that, unfortunately, I and you will say this as well. You're, you're a homer for Rogers, right? No, I'm not. I haven't been a homer for Rogers. I think I've been bagging won, him for years. I think he could have won. I think he could have won any number of um, Super Bowls, but I think he could have also been in the same, almost same breath as um, as Tom Brady. And, and at the end of his career, it's going to be what could have been. And I think he's blown it. I think he's absolutely blown a career. I 100% agree with that, but that's not what we're talking about here. Well, anyway. 
In his anyway, first, whatever. In his no one wants to listen to us talking about this. No, they, they really don't. They really don't. But look, um, you know, he, he's since 2017, he's thrown 22, uh, 24,000 yards, 192 touchdowns, 49 in, interceptions for a, a QB rating of 105. I, I don't think even at this just... point, though, one last point, Paul, though, is that even now, even the difference between what the defenses were allowed to do, even when Aaron first came into the league, don't forget they literally murdered Brett Favre, who was his predecessor, oh. right? And we, and and what they could do now is two completely different things. So yards don't mean that much to me. Could we not? Could we not say that? And Pete, we bring you back into this fold. Could we not say that about almost all sports? So. Um, you know, I definitely think quarterbacks are a protected species. I look at people like um, Diego Maradona and and Pelé and players like that. They were absolutely hacked out of games. And and now, I mean, imagine what they would do now with with the free kicks that are given. Oh my God, uh, Maradona! If Maradona was playing right now in this current competition, he would be he would be killing Messi and Ronaldo. I, that's, I'm sorry if that sounds blasphemous, but he, they wouldn't be able to touch him. They wouldn't no be able doubt. to get the, no get the ball off him. Likewise, yeah. Likewise, you could throw in the original Ronaldo as in R nine Ronaldo. Likewise, yes. you could bring in uh, Adriano and lots of other players. And the thing is, like, I, I, I totally understand and respect what you're saying there, but we also have to respect the present. And so we only get to where we are now as kind of protected people because of what happened previously. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so we, we have to really work out how we want to dictate the future from here. Do we want to try and penalize teams uh, for trying to find an advantage in whatever way that they can? Or do we want to try and celebrate creative success? And I think that, you know, uh, although it creates, it's more Instagram worthy it's more tiktok worthy when you can be able to pause a game because you get a free kick and you get the opportunity to set everyone's cameras up and for the next 20 seconds we're all filming the footage it's more advantageous in that sense but at the same time you're destroying the flow of a game and for me personally i kind of don't want to see professional sport in whatever sport it is whether it's basketball football futsal you know european handball tennis, whatever. I don't want to see sports turn into what unfortunately is the NFL at the moment, whereby games literally stop for ad breaks and where we have realistically, you know, what is it? 20 minutes of actual play over a three hour period. If you collectively put it all together. Well, the thing is, I mean, you you can say this about any sport. I look at NBA and I think of um, the Detroit uh, bad boys uh, up against guys like Michael Jordan and so forth. I mean, it, it's really hard to compare errors because when people try and tell me LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, I laugh because Michael Jordan, would he'd score 60 a game right now. He would because he, they got hacked out of games again. And is LeBron James one of the greatest ever? No doubt in the world. But then we don't look at um, guys further back than that. You know, Bill Russell's and, and Chamberlain. Chamberlain won 11 titles. Um, Bill Russell, um, six, you know, stuff like that. It, you're right. You have to look at the past and, and respect the, the present. You're 100%. I like Pete's point about the advertising dominating the game and, and getting the flow. I, go, I, totally, I totally get it. I, I'm with that 100%. Um, I do think what's interesting, though, is that uh, all the major sports are being – they're being changed 
by outside forces. Yeah. And I don't think it's all to do with the mental health of the players, to be honest. No, I, look, I, I really come across like just the worst player ever when I, worst supporter ever when I say this, but I do yearn for, for so many things from years ago. Um, I, just the corporization, like in, in, in Aussie rules, there's only a few handful of grounds now. Um, you know, it, hey, hello, Cap. How you doing? Yeah, yeah. I, see, that's good argument put forward there. That's why I know. And honestly, probably arguing my point about Rogers, which I love. Um, but I, 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 I yearn for those days. I think you're right. I mean, the, the amount of money that was just spent in the Premier League, as we said, the transfer windows, it can't be doing anything good for the sport. It just can't. No, it really can't be. Um, and, and yeah, look, this has taken a huge uh, deviation in terms of uh, how this discussion's kind of gone. But you know what? That, that's part of what happens when the three of us get together on a call um, and we all try and solve the problems of the world. Uh, but you know what? The thing is, we are speaking in terms of what so many fans at home and how many people uh really engage with their sport you know we're, we're one of the ones that try and voice the frustration and, and try and you know respect the solutions which are out there on offer and understand the fact that realistically the three of us are not in positions to try and change anything but well, we're a voice to be able to help change things i, I do i do want to apologize Bill Russell from the Celtics won 11 titles. Wilt Chamberlain is just one of the greatest scorers that ever played. Um, what one of his best stats is, I think you might like this. I know, I know you're not NBA fans. Um, Wilt Chamberlain, um, in his 63 years of life, was, <laughs> they believe, um, and I don't think this is a good stat. Doesn't he hold a record off the court? Yeah, 20,000 women, they believe. 21,000 yeah. women. Um, he was a lifelong bachelor. 21,000 women. That's just mutual masturbation. That's just, it feels wrong, but that's one of his great stats. <laughs> Jeez, well, Pete just said we were taking a couple of left turns and we just took a big one there. <laughs> uh, that, that stat really wasn't required. Pete, any thoughts Mate, on that? It, 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 is, it, 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 is it too late in the call to, um, you know, put the car in reverse and go back the way we were chatting before? Because, mate, uh, we might need to do a spin here. Is there that or the cat's going to have to get involved in the discussion a bit more? Well, uh, I won't even make a cat joke right now after talking about Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt the Still. Um, but, you know, I don't know. We still love our sport and we get access to sport like we never have before. But before we finish this podcast, guys, um, I wanted to ask you, why you think, or do you think, the standard of reporting on sport, I have a theory, but the standard of reporting on sport is just woeful. Uh, I, I think that the standard has definitely dropped in terms of the fact that uh, we there is an expectation upon having news and having opinions instantly. And so because of that, we have a, I believe that there is a drop in standard uh, of going for, um, speed rather than quality. Yep. And, and because of that, there there is uh, a drop. That said, there are a select few uh, in in the game who are incredible in what they do. Like for me personally, um, Teo Pelizzari is one of my favourite commentators in Australian football because of the work that he puts into commentary. Likewise, Grace Gill. 
Um, yep. whether, whether it's, you know, the A-League women's competition, whether it's Matilda's, for me, those two commentators are the best in the country alongside the likes of Simon Hill because of the research that they do, the effort that they go into. And then I look at guys like Jared Waitley. I mean, I don't always agree with him, but Jared Waitley over the years, um, Bruce McAvaney, uh, those guys who could call... Um, I've just gone blank, uh, John, the guy from WA. Centimeter perfect. Oh, Dennis Cometti. So, But these guys called multiple sports yes. at, at, at the highest level. And and so they're a little bit different to what I'm talking about. Like these days, I'll give you an example. There was an article put out yesterday Dustin Martin involved in crime spree. That was the heading, right? And he had to click into a paywall to get beyond the story. His car was stolen. I mean, that's just, that clickbait mentality is taking over the world. And it, to me, it's ruining sport journalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I like Sorry, John. No, no, that's yeah. all right, Pete. I, I, I've got very strong opinions on this, and we've talked frequently not on this podcast, but one thing, the standard of journalism, full stop, has gone through the toilet, yeah. and that's written. Um, I don't think there's a sub-editor anywhere near any of the articles that go out. Um, I think that there's a 24-hour news and a 24-hour sports news cycle that's in continuous um, parallax that's looking always to find something content rather than quality. It's just quantity and it's just it's it's repeating of the same stuff um and i really do think that you can actually much as you always have been able to see in news outlets there is a direction and a agenda that comes through every news outlet and that is being followed to a t by the sports journalists if they still call them that and then of course you have a whole heap of people who are just just baking stuff out on the sidelines that just add to the noise. And that's why I don't do social media anymore. And I think that the quality of sports journalism, quality newspapers or sports outlets like the, the Australian and places like that, it's just so hard to find anyone who's worth reading it. And no one writes a long-form article anymore. Everything's short. It's boring. And even when there is a long-form article, if you're reading it online, you've got about 20 ads in between where sometimes mm. you have to scroll back to part of the article. You send through a lot of articles to read, and they're fabulous. Um, you have to just take your time to find the right articles, don't you? you? You do. You have to know who you trust and the voices that you can understand and respect. And I was actually thinking about this while, John, you were saying uh, just then, is to be fair, like the three of us, we're, we're realistically, we're, we're nobodies, but... The thing is, we do spend a lot of time doing our research into this. We do put a lot of love and respect into what the voice is that we're trying to create. We absolutely understand the work that, Paul, that you put into, you know, the Love Sport podcast and what you do with, you know, your Vila podcasts and everything else on top. And yes, in a way, people would be fair if they wanted to dismiss our opinions and whatnot. But the thing is, we do put a lot of time and effort into this. Likewise... There are those select few um, shows that, you know, for me personally, if I wanted to listen to a, a football podcast, my first one is Guardian Football Weekly. Yeah. Uh, number yep. two is Football Ramble because the guys put time and effort into everything. Whether if I want something that's super quick, but not always going to be, you know, the best uh, news or the most uh, most authentic news, well, then there's plenty of shows that I can go out to and go listen to. Because the thing is, 
it takes time to produce quality. Football and, and ramble. The football ramble, Pete, is still hilarious too. Absolutely. absolutely. And your namesake was my favourite person on that show. Oh, mate. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> Look, you know what that – and that's what I'm talking though, Pete, about the, you know, the angle and the agenda of the outlet that they work for. Because, I mean, I used to really love the Guardian Weekly, especially when, um, you know, um, AC Jimbo, people like that were there. Yep. But um, i got to say that every time I ever look into that now, I'm just dealing with the same um, overall agenda on social issues that I get. I can get, like, when I walk through the school gate, you know, and I don't want to hear about that all the time when I'm listening to sport. I go on to see – I actually feel that a lot of people out there yearning for a separation of that stuff. Oh, well, we do sometimes get political, but we try not to get too political about it all because in the end – Oh, look, we, you're right. I mean, I listen to a lot of American sporting podcasts, but I've dropped off huge time because there's not a show that doesn't become political at some point in the agenda. It just destroys me. It so really hurts. What... It hurts because, you know what, I honestly don't care what they think about those things. I, 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 it, it's hard to say. I, I did. How's this sound? I did care maybe eight or nine years ago when it was interesting, right? To hear something yep. on every now and again, it's like, well, you know, this is a breakthrough. Like this, okay. Let's say if somebody is the first person who I don't know does whatever, okay. But I don't want to hear about it every single time the next person comes. I don't care. Do you know what yep. I mean? Yep. It's like being the third person to not break a world record. So okay, next. Well, guys, it's been another good pod. We've covered quite a few sports. I always throw different sports at you, as you know. Um, but in saying that, um, is there any other sport you want to cover before we sign off? Uh, look, I'll, I'll just... Uh, during the recording of this show, I've been following along with what's been happening over in the NBL. Uh, Illawarra Hawks, unsurprisingly, lost yet again uh, against the Breakers. So it looks like uh, dead last on the table. Uh, for the Hawks, it's been yet another disappointing season. Um, and hopefully there, there's a bit of a revive because the community down where I am uh, in the south coast of uh, New South Wales, it, it it's, does have big following the Hawks. Um, there's a lot of love and respect about the, the team. And unfortunately, they're not performing to the standard that plenty of the fans would like to see happen. So um, there, there's that on the agenda. And then obviously uh, coming up soon in the next few weeks, uh, we've got Matildas kicking off uh, games across New South Wales with games in Sydney, Central Coast and Newcastle. Uh, Tony Gustafsson named his squad earlier on today, uh, being Thursday the 2nd of Feb. And uh, he's mentioning there that 80 to 85% of the squad uh, is pretty much locked in for the Women's World Cup uh, squad. But, you know, if you follow along with the breadcrumbs of who are the consistent players in the squad, you'll pretty much know 95% of yeah. the squad is already locked in. It's, there's only really one or two spots left of players who won't get on the park anyway. So he's just bringing a tag along. Um, as disheartening as that might be, it will still be a position for someone to be able to take part in the competition. But the biggest news, uh, which for me will be uh, kind of my passing notes, will be the fact that the Women's World Cup first game between Australia and Republic of Ireland has moved from Sydney Football Stadium, a 45,000 capacity uh, stadium, to uh, Stadium Australia out in Homebush, an 80,000-seater stadium to have a fantastic opportunity. 
Yes, there will be an extra 35,000 tickets sold by FIFA. No doubt of that. 26,500 will go straight to commercial reasons and therefore fans will have barely, you know, 8,500 to actually be able to purchase. But still, it's no doubt huge that we'll get to see game one uh, being played at such a big venue. Uh, in the look, the women's the women's World Cup this year. I mean, um, just before we finish off, Group A: New Zealand, Norway, Philippines, Switzerland. In Group B: Australia, Republic of Ireland, Nigeria, Canada. Group C: Spain, Costa Rica, Zam- uh, Zambia, and Japan. Group D: England. There's a playoff winner still to come: Denmark, China. I mean, I won't even go through all the rest yet. But God, there's some good teams there. So what do we got? Eight groups. 32 Absolutely. Teams. Yeah, oh, it's it. a huge World Cup this time around. So it'll be, it will yeah. be fantastic. So, it, look, it's getting, it's just, I don't know how you feel, mate, but it still feels, um, what are some of the World Cup venues? We've got Brisbane, Dunedin, Eden Park, Hindmarsh. Um, they're calling them Perth Rectangular, Melbourne Rectangular. So it is getting played at a fair few <laughs> grounds. Yeah, it, it's definitely getting shared around, which is exactly what you want and what you expect. Yes, teams are going to have to travel quite a fair bit. Fans are definitely going to have to travel if they want to see as many games as possible. Um, it would definitely be a challenge. I don't see anyone uh, doing what a spectator over in Qatar did this time where he managed to see every single World Cup game. Uh, I don't see that happening unless there seems to be um, you know, some magical infrastructure that's get put in place in terms of travel. So it's unlikely anyone's going to actually go see every single World Cup game at the upcoming Women's World Cup. But still, um, a challenge is out there if anyone is in, interested in p- taking part in that. Now, Australia's got no chance of winning this World Cup whatsoever because of one of the reasons you actually said a couple of minutes ago, mate. It's just the, the squad just seems to be the same every single time. There's got to be someone coming through. Oh, look, there's plenty of players coming through and there's just players not being recognised for the work. Uh, For instance, today, congratulations to Claire Hunt being named in the Matilda squad for the upcoming Cup of Nations. Uh, Wholeheartedly deserved as a central defender for Western Sydney Wanderers. Has been fantastic on and off the field as a leader. Um, But many, many question marks have to be raised about why uh, the likes of Mackenzie Hawkesby, Grace Maher, um, why Charlotte McLean hasn't been named into the Matilda squad or at least been part of an extended squad for the upcoming campaign. Uh, th- there's players there who deserve an opportunity and, and yet again don't get it. Danny Gaelic has been the best player in the uh, A-League women's competition yeah. so far this season and unfortunately she doesn't get recognised for it. Again, disheartening. Um, you know, Rihanna Policina has been amazing for Melbourne City and doesn't get the recognition that she probably deserves. So, you know what, um, if there's players who get the opportunity to go elsewhere overseas and, and go play in European competitions, you're probably better off than playing in the A-League women's for now. Uh, look, it's a great, great way to finish it off. Pete, that's why we always need you on this show, your knowledge of the world game, um, especially on a local level, just dwarfs mine at least. Um, I can't speak for you, John, that's not fair. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Especially after your Will Chamberlain uh, interlude. Come on, 21,000. Anyway, uh, guys, it's been the Love Sport Podcast. It's been Paul, John and Pete. Where can we get you on? Uh, you don't do social media anymore, John. So you could have got John on at Lambic Peach and Pete at Pete Novikowski with AW. That's the one. Guys, the Love Sport Podcast. 
Thanks for joining us for another Love Sport podcast. It was Paul, John and Pete. Hopefully you had a good listen there. You can get us on Google, Anchor, Spotify. Uh, where else? Yeah, probably Apple Podcasts as well. Join the Love Sport podcast group. Uh, you can get us on Facebook and Twitter. Get me at Paul underscore football. If you want to listen to any other podcasts we have, they're all through the Love Sport podcast network. Thank you.